Although, I've seen some scripts and no words weren't spelled right. There was hardly any commas in it at all. So I don't think that's too important. Hey, you want to get on the train here or you want to ruin another take, huh? It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. Man, I don't drop character till I've done the DVD commentary. You want to eat the writer? Be my guest. That will leave you to explain how else your character is supposed to get to Bremen. Welcome to another episode of the In the Mouth of Dorkness Chatcast. I am your host, Billy Das, the indie dork, and I am here today all on my lonesome, uh, which is probably for the better, because the last time that I introduced a podcast episode, I forgot how introductions work, and how co-hosts work, and how conversation works, and how podcast titles work. It's a lot when you're suddenly put in the chair and you have to turn that energy all the way up to engage listeners right away, which is funny because that's sort of where we start our conversation with today's guest, Bria Grant. A few weeks back, I was given a wonderful opportunity to go out to Los Angeles to host some Q&As following the Los Angeles premiere of After Midnight. That's Jeremy Gardner and Christian Stella's latest film. And you know, that was a really wonderful time. And, you know, longtime listeners will remember that we had Jeremy and Christian on the podcast uh, when After Midnight premiered at Tribeca. Um, and long, long time listeners will remember that way back in the day, Christian Stella was the first guest that Brad and I interviewed for uh, what turned into the chat cast. And we talked about uh, his work on The Battery, their previous film. So while I was out in LA, I had a chance to have a couple of pretty rad conversations that I'm excited to share with you guys. Today's episode uh, is, of course, with Bria Grant, who stars in After Midnight. Uh, We talk about her performance. Uh, If you guys haven't seen the movie, it's out on VOD. I definitely recommend that you go take a look at it. It is, in all honesty, one of the favorite things for me that I saw last year. There is a single scene in the middle of this movie that is 14 minutes long, that is one shot, that is just absolute cinematic magic. And it is uh, Bria Grant playing Abby and Jeremy Gardner playing Hank, sitting and holding the screen talking about uh, how to solve relationship problems. And it is just one of the most touching things that I think that I have ever seen. And so we talk a little bit about what went into the construction of that scene with Bria today in our conversation, but we also get into some of her other projects. Uh, She's written and starred in a film called Lucky uh, that was meant to premiere at South by Southwest. Uh, You know, again, I I think with the South by Southwest cancellation, um, the city of Austin uh, made a pretty cautious and reasonable choice uh, to close that down. I think anything that we can do to slow the spread of the coronavirus is probably a good choice, but... My heart breaks for every single one of the filmmakers who were meant to premiere a film there. Uh, There's really nothing that can replace that sort of experience and and that sort of audience having a chance to look at your movie and connect with other people about it. Um, It's an enormous thing to lose. And so my heart breaks for all of them. Um, She also has uh, another project on the way, which she just recently announced uh, has been accepted to this year's Tribeca. It is a directorial feature called 12 Hour Shift. We get into that in today's conversation. Um, But, you know, it really turns into just sort of a chat about art and what drives us and and where we get restored by the things that we're doing and, you know, what we treat as a job and um, all of these things. And the conversation goes places, you guys. Uh, So... You know, since I traveled, I didn't roll with Mobile Podcast One. Um, I just uh, used a microphone, uh, my Zoom microphone, to record the conversation between the two of us. I think that it sounds pretty great. 
Um, but you do get a little bit of room noise. Uh, she's got a dog that's walking around through the course of it. An adorable, adorable, sweet, lovely old dog. Um, and then there's an ice cream truck that plays in the background for a little bit. But you know what? That's ambiance, and it makes you feel like you're present. While I was editing the conversation, I felt like I was there in the room. Again, I hope you get to share that experience. Uh, I think, without further ado, let's throw it over to me, turning on the podcast voice to start the conversation with Priya. All right, so we're here in Los Angeles because sometimes uh, I get a wild hair in my head and I decide to go out and do stuff. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Today I'm here with Bria Grant. It's nice to see you go into podcaster mode. It's, it's a totally different a thing, ago, right? Now yeah. Very, yeah. Now you have a lot of energy. Now I've got the energy. I'm bringing it up. I'm actually bringing something to the conversation <laughs> instead of passively going, oh, yeah, that's very interesting. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. It's tough, though, because you know when you're hosting, you have to... You really got to carry the conversation. It's, it's an actual skill set that people don't appreciate enough. Um, I have been asked to host things, and when I do, I'm always like, oh, I'm bad at this. It's like, <laughs> it's very difficult to do, to keep it going, and like, it makes you realize that all those guys who like do interviews every week, like, you know, at night on TV, the late night shows, I can't even think of their names, but they- Those they, dudes. Those guys the are ones good that at do, their jobs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, not a, it's not an easy skill set. Um, and I mean, Dave, uh, Dave Lawson, who's a producer for After Midnight, yes. which uh, just came. So uh, I'm not sure when this episode is going to release, Fine. but real time <laughs> After Midnight just uh, just premiered yes. uh, uh, theatrically. And we've been doing some Q&A's and Dave asked me to come out and host because then he didn't have to have the responsibility right, yeah. for running herd on him and yes. really Justin and Aaron once that got out of control right, in the right. Q&A That's sessions. Right, right, all the Q&As for after midnight. They end up being just a bunch of drunk men telling weird stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that is an accurate it's nice assessment. That's nice that you did that. It's very nice that. But so I guess uh, let's, let's talk about after midnight just for a little bit. Um, I, I have said this to you off air, but I will happily say it onto the record because it's a real opinion. Um, in all seriousness, After Midnight was one of the favorite things that I saw last year. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that that really comes down to, A, like Jeremy's voice on screen is just wonderful. Um, and B, your performance is oh, awesome. I think it's one of my favorite of yours performances. Yeah. Mine as well, actually. I... Um, so I don't, I, I think I mentioned this before we started talking, but, um, we had Jeremy and Christian on, on the episode and they had absolutely wonderful things to say about you. Um, and I know that this came up a bit in Q and a, uh, but they were on your side for not having to audition for your role. Uh, so they, they very much took the perspective that that should not have had to have happened. Um, or, or maybe I'm giving them credit. Maybe they're like, no, I'm pretty sure they were on your side on that. They were, but I don't know. Weirdly, like, um... I don't know what they had seen, but I know one thing that Jeremy had seen that he liked me in his movie that actually never came out, weirdly. Hmm. He saw this movie I was in called Night Sky, uh, which was directed by Jacob Gentry, and it starred me and A.J. Bowen, and it was kind of, um, it was Starman, but with the genders crossed, basically. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yeah, and it never came out, but somehow Jeremy saw it, and so I met him at Fantastic Fest a few years ago, and he was like, oh, I really loved you in Night Sky, and I was like, in Night Sky? Say what? No one's seen Night Sky, it never came out, like, it never, I don't, I don't know what happened. And so, like, that was a weird... I, I don't know if that was the movie that got him... I don't think he's seen anything else I've done. I think that was, like, the one thing, which is, like, a movie that never came out, and I play an alien in it. <laughs> and he said, that is the that's human the person I need that's in this role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the one that's going to bring humanity to us. Yes. Um, but I, I actually would like to uh, just talk a little bit about what went into uh, the 14-minute take in sure. the middle of that movie. Because I, I think it's a beautiful piece of acting. I think it's a beautiful setup with the slow digital zoom. You know, what's it like getting prepared for something like that? 
Yeah. Um, as you've heard me say in several Q and A's, um, I. Oh, that is a Q and A question that no, I hit multiple good. times. It's good. It's good. <laughs> uh, it's a good question. So um, to back up a little bit, I listened to the script. I really loved the movie. It's very rare. I'm really moved by a script. I do think scripts should be pieces of art. Like, I think you should be able to read them on their own and then have, like, emotional resonance with you. Yeah. But it rarely happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, I read After Midnight, which at the time was called Something Else, and I was like, I gotta do this movie. I'm dying to do this movie. And they were like, great, you have to audition, which I was like, I don't really think I want to audition because <laughs> you're making this movie for, like, $7. Like, you're not going to be able to pay me very much. Like, I don't know. I just, this feels like a lot of work for whatever. And they're like, well, if you want the role, you have to audition because other people are auditioning for this movie. And so I recorded, I, they sent me the sides and I put those on tape, but then I also learned the monologue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, like very, very long monologue and I put that on tape and sent that to them. So in preparing for shooting, I had already learned it a few months before that, mm-hmm. which is helpful because mm-hmm. then you're like, you can you know, draw back. I guess that sense memory is there or whatever. It's like riding a bike. I don't know if it's like riding a bike. <laughs> but then I knew we were shooting that. We shot that like maybe towards the end of the shoot, but not at the very end. And um, uh, they told me the day before that it was all going to be one take. So I did not expect that. <laughs> and then they were like, it's going to be the day before. Um, there are some takes, if you could, I don't know if they'll ever release all of them. God, I hope not. Because there were a couple I did mess up on and had to like be like, I nope. I don't know it. what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, but the but but yeah, I think that was the part of the script that really resonated with me emotionally, and that was the part where I was like, I have to do the script. So it already was there emotionally, like preparation wise, and then it's all on the page. And Jeremy's such a good writer that it was just easy to memorize. Yeah. There's just certain scripts you read, and you're like, oh, I know where this is going because people are saying logical things one thing after another. Mm-hmm. You read some scripts, and you're like. I don't know what I'm saying next because it's not something any human would ever say. Right. And that one, it felt like all like, right, I'm talking about this thing, which means you talk about this. And it all just kind of like flowed together for me. Like I never, it never felt hard. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the things that I love about Jeremy's writing is that everything feels honest. Like it's, it's real. Even yeah. if it's something you haven't experienced, I, I genuinely feel like I'm watching what two people would say in that spot. I totally agree, and I think that's what I really like about his work as well. Like I yeah. like the battery when I'm watching, I'm like, wait, this is just what it would be like. You would just be in this situation, right? And I think when you watch um, uh, After Midnight, it is like that thing where you're like, like there's a part in that monologue where he's like, where were you? Like he just like wants to know where I've been. Yeah, and. Um, you know, you that's the way you ask your partner. You aren't like, where were you? It's not this huge like, moment. It's just like, no, where were, where were you? Like, yeah. I, like, as you're trying to ask them, but it's like hurts so bad to ask these hard, hard questions. Um, and I, yeah, he's just such a genius at just writing that and also performing it. Well, I mean, because in, in a lot of movies, that scene, your, your character in that spot would not be... A person in their own right almost right. they would be the foil for the cathartic experience right. for jeremy's character yes right? i would be an evil person with like malicious intent who like is having an affair or something and that's right. not the character right i because that that's what i love about that moment is because as soon as like all you've seen is is the sunshine and roses reminiscence of uh, a person who's been in a relationship for a long time, and that's what they remember when they're sad. Right. And you, oh man, what's what? What is going on with this person? Where did she go? You know, all that sort of stuff. But then all of a sudden, you know, you, you get to see your character, who's like, no, we have a real 
genuine dilemma. No one's a bad person here. Right. Mistakes have been made across mm-hmm. the board, and, and it's tough when you find yourself in a relationship, and that's what you have to do. And, yeah, I feel like any... It's funny, because people keep reaching out to me about the movie and about that scene, and I sure. think it truly really just resonates with people because we've all been in relationships where, like, oh, no one's bad. There's right. no one evil in this situation. It's just, like... Things are not working right now because we both want different things and neither of us are willing to compromise at this point. Or Like, my character felt like she's been compromising for so long. Right, yeah. Um, I normally hate doing Q&As. You should know that. about. I hate answering questions about movies <laughs> I'm in. Because I always feel like the writer and the director have so much more to say. The fucking production designer has more to say. Everyone has more to say than I have to say about the movie because I'm like, oh, I was there for like a week and did my part and then I haven't heard from these people in a year and now I'm doing a Q&A. And this movie is the one, like, it is one of the exceptions to that rule where I feel like once I read the script, I was like, no, this is my character and I have so much to say about her. Like, right. I feel so related to her that yeah. I'm like, I, ha- I have to talk about her and I have to talk about her journey and why it's important and why it's important to talk about these things and how it makes, it's okay to want these things. It's okay to want mm-hmm. a relationship. It's okay to want to get married and have kids. Like, these things are all okay and we have to be able to speak about them, which I think is really hard sometimes when you've been this strong, independent woman for so many years. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, I, I think what makes it such a relatable position to be in is because you, like you say, it's okay to want those things, but it's, you can want both of those things and it's easy to eschew some things because this thing is right here and it's right in front of you. And, and, and like genuine love that that's not toxic and not broken can, can lead you to unconsciously make, choices and limitations and and push you in directions that you don't want to go and sometimes you wake up in that moment and you go oh man yeah relationships are hard they're super hard (laughs) they're so hard we have to be around these other people and give them what they want and then we don't get what we want and how awful is that and yeah it's, it's hard I, I, my, like my life experience is so, I think different from most people. I, cause I, I married my high school sweetheart. Oh so God. I'm been in a relationship now for 21 years oh my God. going on. Wow. Right. Yeah. So like, but when you start in high school, so I, this is not for everybody and I don't necessarily recommend that choice. I mean, Works for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy with it. Here you are. Uh, but like you, you start out in high school and the person you are in as a senior oh in high school God. versus the person you are when, you know, you're going to be 40, um, Totally different people. Very much. You had to grow together, though. Right. You had to grow together. And that's what I really like about that scene is because I don't think that lesson is obvious until you're really stuck in a position where you've grown with someone for a while and you don't recognize the paths that you've pruned off as a result of that. And, like, Mm -hmm. everybody hits that point. And for me, like, that's something that I think about a lot to try and be conscious to say – I need to be myself, but I also need to be a partner. And how do I balance those things as I go? And, and the more that I've understood the balance between those, the easier it's been for me to um, like maintain a relationship that I feel like is functional or positive. I would, I would like to you to do a podcast with your wife. I would like to hear that <laughs> being like four. Like I was forty and married for so long. Because for me, that's a foreign concept. I I have I have. Uh, I love short relationships. So. <laughs> I'm in my current longest one, which is great. Well, good. It, yes. it sounds like you're happy with that. So, all right, all right. No, no, that's good. Um, well, okay. So, I get the subtext of that, though. Just generally speaking, don't talk too much about the acting roles that you take on. Is that more like? Is that like a business transaction no. for you? Is there oh. passion in acting still? Um, there is actually. There is. I think sometimes I have to be reminded of it. So I've been. I've been making a living as an actor for 
over 10 years, which yeah. is a good portion of my life. Not a good, not a huge portion, not a full, whatever. It is a good portion of my life. It's my a chunk adult, of time. It's my, it's my Inescapably. Adult, it's my life, right? Um, and I moved to LA like 13 years ago. And I, I just found at some point, which sort of led me to start writing and, and directing more, um, that I was just like getting all these roles that were very like, for lack of a better word, just like blonde lady. Like a bunch of blonde lady roles, which is fine. There's like a place for that. I write those roles. You need them. Sure. You got to get paid. Right. You get paid and you make a living. But I am like not ever completely satisfied with anything. And so that was starting to not feel satisfying. But then something like this rolls around and you're like, oh, this is going to make me feel better. It's like right. eating like, it's like chicken soup for the movie maker yeah. soul. Um, I just went and did um, a movie in Kansas City called The Stylist. I felt the same way. Yeah, Jill Six. Jill's movie, yeah. And um, it's going to be amazing. And it's that thing too where I was like, oh, I'm so inspired by Jill that like I think I'm gonna go and it's gonna make me like love acting and love being on a set and it totally did you know, like that's like what I I like need that reminder every so often because like yeah there's definitely only a certain number of CSIs you can do till you're like am I what am what's, I doing what's happening here well, this what was am not I... my ambition this was not my like life goal and I yeah. you have to kind of remind yourself of that every so often do you, I mean the common denominator though between uh, Jill's shoot and uh, Jeremy and Christian's shoot though is Kansas Florida yeah not LA. Not LA. You think I should move out of LA? I, 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 I don't know. know. Is, my, is my house not rad though? No. Uh, this is, I mean, this is a glorious house. This. I have a scary poster of a woman. Um, it's I do, amazing. I, I do, I like Los Angeles. There is a certain thing to be said about people making movies elsewhere for sure. I think when you go on location, you do have this like, type kind of like, summer camp vibe where it's like we're all out here doing a thing and it's really fun and you get to like be on location and sort of get a vacation from your life i i find that like going to a different place so like for me la is a different place right i'm based in dc and so here like i have it's easier to get the psychology of permission to exist outside of the routines of my life yes 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 and like i set up my routines in a particular way because they make the most sense but they are deliberate and they are a process and they are a habit sure and this is new and this is fresh and it's good for your brain yeah like it's this weird thing of like you know they say you should like drive home a different way like all the time but i never do because it's like creates new (laughs) fuck that neuro (laughs) neuro connections but when i'm in a new city i'm like oh crap i gotta figure out like just the basic shit where I'm like, where do I do my laundry? Where, where do I, like, that on top of the fact that you're, like, for me, like, I'm creating a character. I'm doing this huge thing. You're just, like, life changes and you feel suddenly, like, so much more alive for a hot minute, you know? Well, right, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's easy to feel, mm, what would be the right way to say it? To just be asleep in your routine. Sure. And not in a bad way, necessarily. I love my routine, but yes, yeah. it is easy to do that. Yeah, it's, sure. it's cozy. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, let's, I mean, but let's, let's, let's talk writing then. Um, sure. Like, the theme of this weekend for me and and all the conversations that I've been having is um, about the tradition of storytelling and, you know, the importance of risk-taking to keep your interests and other people's interests alive in that. So is, is, is for you the chance to start telling your own stories? Is that, like, revitalizing an interest in the overall craft or is it a way to express yourself? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've been doing it for a while. I... So, I mean, look, I mean, I definitely feel like I am able to tell some really great stories through things other people have written, and I, like, don't deny that at all. I think, like, some of I think my best work is all stuff other people have written. I, I, I like, 
obviously got my start doing like stuff that I feel like is like some amazing work that people have written in television and film. Yeah. Um, I think right now, uh, I just getting older and feeling like I have more to say is just mm. sort of what has happened. Um, I directed, I wrote and directed my first movie seven years ago or premiered seven years ago. I realized so it was like eight years ago. Um, and then I write comic books and stuff and I've been writing short stories. I've been like mm. doing more stuff along those, that side for years. Sorry. I have a small dog in here and she's <laughs> very fussy. Can Looking you stay still? Hold on. I know. She's going to wander around during your podcast because she's always confused. That's okay. She's an old dog. That's okay. We all get old. We all get old. Um, I don't know what I was saying. But yes, I, I do think I want to tell more stories. I, I think the thing that I find fascinating about you is that like it feels to me like you come to the profession as an actor first and then you expand that way of telling stories into other environments. Oh, and most of the people that I wind up talking with are writers or directors first and this is where they find their break in and maybe they put themselves in in their movie because they've got the skills to to be an actor but it's the creation of the story itself that Mm. brings them into it and so like i'm I'm fascinated by that difference in psychology there or i guess life experience maybe or approach i'm not sure what the right way to say yeah 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 i mean i definitely think my like uh obviously my entrance into making movies and TV and stuff is through acting. Like, yeah. weirdly, I moved to L.A. because I thought I wanted to be a producer, which is so huh. strange because that's the one thing I really don't do. Uh, <laughs> like, I do it sometimes. I, there is a show that I worked on that I did do it on. But, um, but yeah, I, I moved out here thinking, like, I wanted to help create storytelling. And I had taken some acting classes, and acting just took off for me really quickly mm-hmm. um, in a way that, like, I basically was the luckiest person on the planet. Like, I ended up landing a few roles that, like, made it so that people recognized who I was. And, right. That helps um, a lot. It does, it does, but it was, like, straight up, like, right place, right time. Like, I just have, I, yeah, I, I was just very fortunate. Um, and the producing thing obviously didn't work out. Weirdly, the same day, I got offered, I was waiting tables, and there was a producer who would always come in, and he offered me a job to be uh, his assistant, to, like, become a producer. Mm. On, like, the same day I got offered a recurring role on Friday Night Lights. <laughs> and I was like, I think I'm going to pursue this acting thing, see where it goes, which went great uh, for many years and still goes great and is still really lovely and I feel very fortunate because I'm part of the horror community so I get a lot of a lot of work that way. You know, yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. I'm really lucky in that way. Um, but, yeah, I definitely, like, approach it from, like, a very personal sort of storytelling way. But in the last several years, I've, I don't know. I feel like I also, like, have just started putting on different hats. And, like, it feels totally the same to approach it from a writer way. Like, I mean, so Lucky is this movie that I have going to South by Southwest. And it's very much, like, one woman's story. So, like, anytime I talk about Lucky, I would, like, as a writer, I would sort of deal with it from, like, her perspective. And it's mm-hmm. just, like, all about the main character, May, and, like, her perspective. Because it becomes this, like... Thing, like almost feels like in her head is like this mm-hmm. surrealist story um so in that way yeah i think i do approach it like an actor where i'm like where is she where is she in relation mm-hmm. to the story mm-hmm. but now i'm doing more and more stories that are less like that and i think have a lot more of just like it's about the story and less about the actors so i don't know the answer to that so an interesting perspective no interesting it's like right to kind of explore that the yeah. way like the way that the, the the creative process starts i always think yeah. is kind of interesting like when you go to put pen to paper mm-hmm. Do you have, is it the character in your head already? Like, I see this person, and 
this is the path that they're going to have to walk down. And I explore the story through that perspective. Or is it like a scenario? Or is it this image? I know this moment is going to happen and, and I'm going to build a story around that. Where's like, what's the, the germinating seed for you? I mean, unfortunately, the answer is boring and it kind of depends on the story. Like, uh, just one thing I've been working on lately, it's definitely like a little bit of the character's perspective. Uh, my dad has had Alzheimer's for eight years, and I'm trying to sort of write something that's like apocalyptic with the woman and this, her dad with Alzheimer's. And so that's it is just about her sort of journey and her dealing with this this illness and this person who can't take care of themselves in this yeah. apocalyptic landscape. I think I think a lot about environment. Mm-hmm. I know that's a weird thing. So um, I do this book podcast, and we talk about there's different ways that you pick out the books you want to read. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and... And it's usually, it's usually like character, language, character, language, but one is environment. And the books I read are all like, it's this world. Right, right, and right, And these right. are the things that happen in this world. And that's right. how I pick out my books. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe I write like that a little bit Oh, that's bit interesting. Because well. I, I was, um, I talked with um, a little bit, uh, Alexander Philippe, who's a, uh, he's a documentary maker oh, about oh. filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did the... Um, 7852 about the psycho mm. bathtub murder scene. Um, that's just the exploration of that, yeah. right? And, you know, one of the things that we wound up talking about was like, I, I think that people watch movies in, in different ways. Oh. Um, and the same way, like you're talking about where you look at, how do you pick out a book to read, right? And what do you think about? I think, like, I think you have like visual movie watchers and you sort of have maybe uh, story movie watchers. Like that's the thing that they gravitate yeah. for. Or like, um, like I'm really interested in voice yeah. on a film. Uh-huh. And so like that, like, so after midnight, right? Like I look at that. And I think about Jeremy Gardner's voice as being told through the course of this. And then I look at story, right? Um, or visuals or something like that. Mm. But that's the thing that drives the way that I look at it. And I think maybe that changes the way that you internalize a movie or process it. Yeah, I agree. That's really interesting. And I think especially in something like After Midnight where you can see him all over the place. I don't know. Do you think that sometimes, though, there are movies that don't have that strong of a voice? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you don't like them. And, and I think I connect less with them. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, and I think, like, I mean, movies are subjective, and I have no problem with people having differing opinions. But I, I think that there are some objective things that you can look at and go, well, this does this very well technically, like technical stuff. Um, but for the rest of it, I maybe just won't connect with that movie. Um, but you know, maybe what they do is just really remarkable visual storytelling Mm -hmm. and I, but I don't feel the voice that's Mm -hmm. happening through Mm -hmm. that. And so somebody appreciates the shots, they get more out of that movie than you do. I don't, I I don't know. I guess it's more like, is art for you what people, what the artist is saying or what you think when you're consuming it? I will argue that it's the latter. Mm -hmm. I think that it is, I think... Well, I mean, uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. It depends on the day, I feel like, almost. It does depend on the day, but I do think that, like, there is an interesting time right now where there's all these communities that have, like, sprung up around certain artistic pieces, and they aren't even necessarily what the artist meant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay with, like, people interpreting it differently and, like, loving these characters that they were, like, supposed to be, like, throwaway characters. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think there Mm -hmm. is something really interesting about the way we just internalize all of it. I, I was having a conversation last night and I realized that um, there are movies that I love, movies that I will champion um, and that I understand very deeply and appreciate, mm-hmm. but I will not remember the first time that I saw them unless 
it was personally significant to me mm-hmm. in some way. Like I connected personally with the watching of this movie because it spoke to me about something I was experiencing or there was some kind of my human life experience. I saw it with somebody that I loved and it meant something to me mm-hmm. um, or I was going through a difficult time and it helped me put to words thoughts that I didn't quite get. Then viewing experiences stick with me but otherwise i'll just remember the story or something right. that i thought about that piece of art and it's not necessarily tied to me That's as a human interesting. this is like your memory like your yeah your memory of it like literally changes does that mean that if I, someone tells me they like after midnight they're having relationship problems because that means they've like <laughs> internalized the like oh my gosh the issues of it All right, well i was gonna be flipping and say oh my gosh i think a lot of people are having relationship problems and i was like oh no Don't a lot that. of people aren't having relationships <laughs> Um, no, I don't, I don't necessarily think so. I mean, I like, I don't look, um, I mean, after midnight, my takeaway from that is not that people have relationship problems. My takeaway from that is actually that it's a very optimistic story. I think it's optimistic. If if you are open and you understand who you are, you can make choices in a smart and intelligent way that allow you to intertwine your life with somebody else. Hmm. And that's, that's kind of the takeaway that I get with that. Um, but I think that's a positive I, message. And I think the message is, I mean, this is so, getting so deep into it, but just because you're having a disagreement doesn't mean the relationship has to end, which is something that I I have trouble with in my life. And I think, like, even watching the movie, I'm like, wow, they had this, like, huge conversation and they're still going to be together. And that's, like, very hard for me personally. So it's, like, nice watching these characters sort of work through a thing. Well, right. Know? No, it's hopeful. Yeah. Um, I, one of my favorite. So, I, right. So I'm a guy with 20 years of, of marriage, <laughs> or, you know, relationship under his belt, yes. um, which is an absurd place I to be. I have 20 years, but they're all with different men. With different men. Yes. Right, right, right. right yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's, I mean, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> I have no frame of reference to comment on that is what I realized as I was going to make a joke. I was like, Billy, shut the fuck up. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, but no, like, um, um, like. Uh, fuck, what was I saying? You think it's a hopeful movie? Yeah. People don't, and you can argue it's okay Well, no, it, like, it took me a long time to learn oh, that see. that could happen. And, like, I, I like After Midnight because it approaches a genre of film that I appreciate and that I would like to see more of, which is movies that feature couples where the conceit of the film is not the crumbling or potential dissolution of a relationship. Yeah, interesting. Um, like, um, like Brendan Fraser, uh, the, his version of The Mummy, where you go through that trilogy, yeah. they are happily married. Yeah. They work together as a team. Yeah. There's no like, well, honey, you need to go over and do this. Or there's like, oh, if we don't solve this problem, we're going to get divorced. Right. Um, they're fucking happy. It is something interesting that media does kind of tell us that like if things are going poorly, you're going to always be unhappy because it's going to end in a breakup because that's the way movies end. So you should just go ahead and break up. And I, you're right. I mean, if they just showed people actually working through shit, yeah. maybe we'd have healthier relationships. But I mean, and that's... Playing but, the media. Always. <laughs> always. But that, that's my impression of love is that like love is, is, is an experience that you have and it can be a, a like an impassioned feeling. But the way that that translates to longer term relationships is not just keeping that like that peak of emotion sustained for an extended period of time. It's looking at it in a more pragmatic way and understanding that you have to compromise and you have to talk yeah. and you have to communicate and all mm-hmm. this stuff. It's mm-hmm. work. It's work. It, I mean, you tell me, you seem like you, you know, <laughs> I guess that's what I'm doing. This is, I didn't know this was going to be like a therapy session. I know. I, I, I don't know how we wound my, up here. My past love life. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's kind of where we are. Oh, shit. 
well, so, so, so yeah, let's, no, you're right. This shouldn't be a therapy session. Okay. Um, let's, right, we're here to talk about craft <laughs> and excitement and challenges and storytelling, which but I guess is sort though. of what we're doing. This is the thing, though. This is like, I feel like this is so sad, but like my best writing happens when I'm the saddest and the loneliest. So I don't know. All this kind of plays into, I mean, I know positive, nice people in good relationships do good writing, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have had trouble being one, definitely. <laughs> so, so for you, um, like when you when you pick up the pen to write Lucky, or like you're, are you exploring deliberately some aspect of issues that you have so that you can see those translated to the screen? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. A few years ago, I like had, I was like I gotta I was writing all the time. I write all the time, and there's so many scripts I've written that I will never show anyone. Um, but I especially you know my first like. Five scripts, hopefully no one will ever read. Um, but I I was like, I need to write more things where it's like, why am I the person to sell, tell this story? And if I can't answer yeah, that, yeah. I'm not, I shouldn't be writing it. Yeah. Um, and with Lucky, it's really easy because it's about a woman being attacked every night and everyone around her is like, yeah, that's like what happens. It's right. normal. It's normal. This yeah, is normal. Yeah. Women get attacked every single night. Yeah. Kind of this like surreal world that she's entered into. And I, um, a few years back, got attacked um, outside my home, and then um, the guy came back, oh, and Jesus. I ended up with this stalker situation, and um, there was just very little people could do. Yeah. Um, people, meaning the police um, and myself. And, um, yeah, so I think I was a little bit working through that in my head because I felt so powerless. Like, you can get a restraining order. The crazy thing about getting a restraining order is you have to go to a courthouse and um, the guy can show up and sit next to you in court if you really wanted to. Um, He didn't, thank God. Uh, And uh, he never showed up after I got the restraining order, um, which which is great. That's like the happy ending of the story, which I feel like most people do not have. Um, And around the same time, I got robbed out of my car. It was a tough couple of months. Yeah. Um, And... Uh, the, co- the cop that came when I got robbed was like, you know, you're just really lucky that he didn't rape you. And I was like, well, I'm not lucky. I got robbed. Like, I'm, I'm like, I had, like, no money at the time, and, like, my computer got stolen. And, like, I was just like, how am I going to buy another computer? Like, it was like, I'm not, I don't know if I'm lucky. That's the inception of the lucky thing, which that conversation sort of almost happens, not verbatim, but it's very close to that in the movie where I'm... I play the lead character in Lucky, and, and they're like, oh, well, you know, you're lucky that you got away. You're lucky and all this stuff. It's like, you're not lucky if you get attacked. That's not, you're not, that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Right. Even, like, I mean, I think most people and all women can, you know, attest that, like, when someone follows you down the street, you're not lucky if they don't attack you. It's still fucking scary. <laughs> like, yeah. it's so scary, you know? Yeah. And I, almost everyone I know, when I tell them the story, they have something where they're like, oh, yeah, this guy did this to me that I got followed or whatever. So I think for that one in particular, I was sort of trying to work through something, and I was like, well, I am the person to tell this story, because I feel like I have such experience with, like, a system now, with, like, the court system, and um, and with being attacked in this uh, kind of ran away by a stranger. Um, yeah, so, so yes, sometimes I'm working through something like that. I always put a little bit of personal stuff in me. The mm-hmm. movie that I wrote and directed last year called 12-Hour Shift um, is set in, like, a small town... It was originally set in a small town in Texas, like where I'm from, um, during the 90s, which is like, you know, when I lived there. And I just wanted to set, I kind of wanted to do this ode to like weird East Texas and like the way people were and how insane everyone was. Yeah. 
there were, you know, so many people doing meth and, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it was just like a strange time in history. And I wanted to write something that was like that specific to like where I was from. Yeah. But I mean, like it does, it, uh, it means something to see yourself and your experiences mm-hmm. on the screen. Whether it's you telling a story about things that you experienced through that or it's somebody else telling a story that you suddenly like, oh, yeah, I see a little bit of my home there, you know? Oh, my God. It's, it's like it's... I think it's huge. I mean, it is that thing, too, where, like, there were definitely, like, you can watch movies and really enjoy them, but there is something when someone, like, really speaks to you, which I think is, again, why After Midnight is so great, because it, there's so many things about it. The whole storyline where, like, Abby, my character, is from this, like, small town, and she didn't ever leave, and she's really bummed about that choice that she made, and for me, that is like the other path of my life. Like yeah. I wouldn't be in Los Angeles. I would still be in a small town in East Texas and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think I would be bummed if I had never like given it a shot. Right. Yeah. You know? And and so I, that was the part that actually was really upsetting to me. It wasn't all the relationship stuff, which I think is totally valid. It was the stuff where it was like, oh, like this whole other life that you could be living and you didn't take a chance on is kind of yeah. a bummer, you know? I do know. Welcome to my neighborhood. It's very loud here. I'm so sorry. That's an ice cream truck. It's, wait till the tamale guy comes by. Um, <laughs> not a joke. Not a reference from after midnight. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but yes, um, I think seeing yourself on screen is very important. I think we're at a time in Hollywood where we're acknowledging that, though, in an interesting way. Yeah. I, I, I think... Um... I find these days uh, differences in perspectives and, and, and really getting a chance. Uh, right, because Roger Ebert has the thing, right? Movies are empathy machines, right? Mm-hmm. And they give us that illusion of a shared experience so we can really start to see people as people or make that a little bit easier to do because humans in general suck at that mm-hmm. and they're kind of just shitty about it. Yeah. Um, and it's easy to dismiss other experiences that aren't the same of yours. And I do think you can like relate to ones that are even like so outside your own. I was thinking about, did you see this movie Sweetheart? Um, I can't remember where it premiered. Maybe it's not Viking. The title rings a bell. It's not it's popping woman, straight into my head. It's a woman and she gets stuck on this. It just came out on VOD, maybe. And she. She's on, she island and yes. she's in the water? Yeah, yes. yeah. I know the one you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. So that movie, like, I don't know. It was like just something about the way it was written. Everything was really resonating with me. And then her fucking boyfriend shows up and he dismisses her and he calls her sweetheart. And it was just this moment that was so infuriating to me. And it was just a small little token moment mm-hmm. that I was like what a brilliant thing that I think a lot of people probably watched that movie and saw that moment and they were like right that's what this movie's about like you yeah. like and it just resonated with me so hard maybe not yeah. in a way that did with anybody else but I, I I like things like that I think are important to these movies you know you just have these little moments right Mo- like a moment of under of like oh that's why that's fucked up or something like that's that why this, that's yeah. actually for me what that movie is about is this woman being dismissed like this entire yeah. movie I don't know what it's about for everyone else but for me it was like <laughs> the most heinous moment that I was like oh god he shows up at this island and he fucking dismisses her I'm like oh I couldn't believe it yeah, yeah. anyway <laughs> um Okay, so Lucky's going to South by Southwest, um, and you're starring in it. Um, that's, I mean, that's got to be exciting, right? Yeah, I'm, I, yeah, trying to be like Greta Gerwig of Horror over here. I don't know. Or the Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Which one can I be? <laughs> Both at the same time. May you achieve that level of recognition. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, it's my first time at South by Southwest as a 
I used to live in Austin, and I used to mm-hmm. sneak into movies, but this mm-hmm. will be my first time going officially. And, but I mean, you've been to been to the festival before, though, right? Not this... in not since I moved. No kidding. No, yeah, I moved here 13 years ago, and I haven't been back for, for wild. That. Yeah, I go back to Austin a lot, but for mm-hmm. Fantastic Fest, sure, I go to Fantastic Fest all the time south, but I haven't ever made. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you want more water? Um, I would love more water if you don't mind, actually. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, not these days. Uh, we had a couple of dogs and a cat for a very long time, and they passed on all kind of around the same time, and so we're taking a break. Yeah, that's good. Good to take a break. I think pets are really good for people. I think you should have to have responsibilities. It's no, endearing. it reminds you to take care of another another living thing, yeah. that you're not the only person. Exactly. I think about my kids like that. You have kids. I do, that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have three. Yeah, ten, seven, and five. Ten? Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, twenty years. Who's watching those children right now? My wife. <laughs> wow, what an angel! What an angel that wife is. Ah, uh, she's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow, I wish I had three kids at the age of ten. I love it. I mean, sure it's a nightmare. I'm sure it's a nightmare sometimes, but it seems so fun. No, I wouldn't say it's a nightmare. It's funny how people think that that it can be a nightmare. Well, I feel like when they were seven, you know, like all under seven, maybe that was like much more chaotic. I have no ability to answer that question because my frame of reference for what is chaos shifted dramatically when we had a kid. Like my first kid was a screamer from uh, day zero. Um, And so like the first three months of her life was so they all seemed easy after that. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, that's that that is exactly the lesson of the story. So the hardest the uh, baby. The hard one first. Yeah. And then you're not yeah. there can be no worse outcome. Yeah. But no, like I mean, my oldest is ten now and um I do a podcast with her. Um <gasps> we uh we watch movies together. She came to me and was like, I wanna watch more grown up movies and she's aware that I do this as a side hustle. Oh um and um, she, do you remember when um, Shutter did the, the return of Joe Bob Briggs for the first time? Yeah. Um, they had his overnight marathon or whatever. Um, they were playing Night of Living Dead, the original Night of mm-hmm. Living Dead before that on the Shutter TV channel. And um, she walked out of her room and just kind of sat down beside me and watched, you know, this black and white movie from 1968. Wow. And um, when we finished, you know, she had some questions that I felt like were you know, like she took something from the experience. Um, and I said, maybe there's something here. Um, and, and, and then, and then she did something. So, cause I'm a very, like my approach as a parent very much is you tell me what you want to watch or consume media wise and more like there's some red lines in the sand, but more or less, if you want to watch it, as long as we're talking about it, I really don't, care that's good that's great um because me you shouldn't be afraid of the movies or the books or whatever that you're reading because there's so much fucked up stuff out there in the world and you're constantly inundated with all this stuff that i fundamentally believe having an ability to navigate the things that you like and know the things that you don't like and ask the questions that help you figure out the difference between those is like those are valuable life skills to have um so uh she came out um, I was, uh, this, okay, so this is, this is wild and this is the most uncomfortable I've ever been as a parent. Um, I was watching, um, uh, Coralie Farhi's Revenge. Oh my God. <laughs> and she comes out post inciting incident. Oh no. Oh and like, 
like there's violence on the screen and and she doesn't understand why it's happening and because she wouldn't have a frame of reference for that um and then she's watching this and i'm like okay but it's violence but matilda lutz is awesome i like what Fergie is doing with this and she's watching and you know you get to this naked shotgun blast blood-filled fest at the end of this movie and i'm like oh fuck I have made some questionable parenting choices right I now. Mean, or she's telling this story years from now and being like, I, "This is why I make movies." <laughs> no, exactly. Okay. And but but I but but so like we finish right, and I'm like, I don't. Well, there's got to be some science to this. I don't like this. But she says to me, "Can I see the beginning of the movie? Because I'd really like to watch the part where Matilda Lutz talks." And I was aware, obviously, watching the movie that she really doesn't have very much dialogue in the course of that film but like Claire took that straight away and she centered in on it and she understood that there's like some kind of struggle that's going like so it made me realize that maybe she's prepared to do something more with these things but um, revenge is not the way that I would like to start that uh. <laughs> I mean, like, this is, like, not the same at all, but my friends who all have kids are all like, oh, you try not to let them watch TV too much. And I'm always like, I totally get that, but I watched so much TV yeah. growing up, and now I make TV. So, right. like, <laughs> like, I have, you actually, like, need that basis to go, like, I know about all these things because I watched them. Well, but, like, the, exactly the, the conversation that we're having at the start of this about, like, the art and subjectivity of these things that when you're looking at it, that there is art there. And I don't think about... Like, you wouldn't say, oh, why are you reading so many books? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, that's what a TV show is. It's a narrative yeah. telling you a story about the human experience. Same for a movie. Um, so, anyways, we, we decided to do the podcast for it. And um, we've been doing it for a year and change now. And, and we started with um, some of, like, the classics in the 80s. We did some Joe Dante movies. Nice. Um, we did uh, The Terminator and Terminator oh, 2. So, so like, a chance to get her a smattering of stuff. Um, but then... When we came back after her summer break, um, we started diving back into it, and we did a um, an exploration of Universal horror movies, Great. and we watched Frankenstein, Bride, Invisible Man, nice. and all this stuff. And so, but like, but then we get to have this conversation about like James Whale um, being an out gay filmmaker in uh, early Hollywood, yes. and the social commentary that's going on in the story, and like yeah. the history of storytelling into that stuff. And but these are black and white movies that you think people wouldn't watch, and she fucking will just sit down wow. and take it in. Excited to see where she is in like eight years. I I don't know, but I I think it's amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm super fascinated oh, by great. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, so we've gone wildly off topic. Yeah, no. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, but let's okay. So Lucky is coming to South by Southwest. Um, but that's not the only big debut that's been announced recently. Uh, yeah, I directed, wrote a directed movie called Fravar Shift, and it's going to Tribeca um, right after Lucky Goes to South By, which is crazy. That's wild. Yeah. And and then they, the nice thing is, I know people are always like, what does that mean to me? Nothing. Um, but it's going to, all those movies are going to a bunch of small um, genre festivals after that. We already know... Oh, I can say this. We already know that this will be announced. Lucky's going to Chattanooga. Yay! Yeah, great. Um... I don't know if I can announce that there's an LA premiere of Lucky that will be really fun. Okay. Uh, and then we're going to some places uh, in, I'll be in Canada and in the UK soon too and I'm sure people can put together what that means. Uh, there's there's <laughs> some math that we can do there. Sure, sure. Um, for one or the other. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, it's, 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 um, 
I'm going to spend so much time, time traveling. We're going to spend a lot of time on planes, I think, coming up. That's, but these are, this is a good thing, right? This is an exciting uh, time? Yeah, I don't love flying, but other than that, yes. Okay, okay. Yes, yeah, but no, it is, it's very exciting. 12-Hour um, Shift is my second movie I've ever directed, and um, Angela Bettis is the lead, and she's... That's fucking amazing. She's so amazing. <laughs> uh, I cannot believe she's in the movie. The whole, I was very nervous when I met her, and I think I acted like a total freak, and she still came and did the movie, uh, which is super nice, and she trusted me, and she's... It's funny, so I, I we shot it in Arkansas in April of last year. Yeah, April. And um, I watched Angela, like, every day and on the monitor, and I was like, wow, I will never be this good as an actor. Like, she's so good at everything she does, and, like, I've edited myself, so, like, I feel like I can strongly say how good I am as an actor. And then uh, I got home, and three weeks later, we started, started shooting Lucky, so I was like, and I was the lead of that, and I was like, should I even do this movie? I'm not even, I'm not good enough to do this movie. I just watched a pro who's been doing this shit for so long that she it looks so easy when she does it and I feel like for me there's so much fucking effort um, but yeah uh, yeah uh, I'm very excited for people to see 12 Hour Shift it's different it's not um, a straight up genre movie it's more of a dark comedy okay mm-hmm. okay yeah. I, I mean I'm excited about that is it is it is it weird to find yourself in um, the other side of the role when it comes to casting responsibility and engaging with people who you're like I fucking would love to have you in this yes. movie. Um, and like, does that, is that like a skill that you have to develop or? Um, I think it probably is and I haven't developed it yet. It's, I think I'm a little like corny and weird about stuff where I'm like, I just please be in the movie. Like I'm like real weird about it. Um, and hopefully I'll get cooler about it at some point. <laughs> but the like, the other stuff, like as far as just being on a set and making decisions and stuff, that stuff feels to me not that crazy like it doesn't feel like such a huge shift i thought it would feel like in some ways a huge shift so I'm, i've been direct i directed an episode of the show called pandora last year and mm-hmm. about to go back and do more and people are like oh that's a crazy shift because you're going from like indie movies and acting and blah, blah blah and then behind the camera but when i talked to the showrunner i was like i'm so comfortable in a tv set that's like where i feel like right I should yeah be. well you've got a lot of experience lots of tv i started in tv yeah. like that was like i learned to act I learned to act on television. Anybody who watches my early shit and then watches me later can be like, ooh, she's, uh, there's some scenes where I'm, what am I doing? Uh, and because I learned to act in front of millions of people and, uh, uh, yeah, or, uh, you know, in front of a crew of 50 or something. What an insane crucible. Uh, <laughs> it is really weird. Um, yeah, so I think it's not been that weird. I mean, it all feels like, to me, creativity in a way that I feel like I'm approaching, you obviously approach it differently mm-hmm. in some ways, but in some ways I just really draw on all the things I already know about being on yeah. set. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, well, I think we've been talking, we've been talking a while. Okay. I don't really I, know I what I talk the- a lot. I have a lot to say. <laughs> no. I've loved every minute of this conversation. I just don't know how much is going to wind up in the final Fair. episode that's because we, that's, you know, we are going fair. places fine, fine, in this fine, chat. Fine. That's good. You that's never good. know. Sometimes you talk to people and they're like, oh, this is a seven-hour podcast. And you're like, right. wow, really? It's so Settle long. in. <laughs> uh, if you're a commuter, you're good for the next two weeks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, but uh, so, so 
obviously we've got the South by South uh, West for Lucky. Um, 12 hour shift is going to hit Tribeca. Um, definitely go to Chattanooga Film Festival. Oh, yeah. I'm 100% going to be there. I've never been. Uh, I've it is there. a glorious place. I've heard it's very fun. After I, Midnight I, was there last year, I believe. Yep. Uh, I said no because we went to Tribeca. No, yeah, because it premiered at Tribeca. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I have had a movie there. Maybe Beyond the Gates played there? Did it? I think it might have. Yeah, yeah. I think it might have. But um, I've never gone. But um, Chris Storch, uh, who is the heart and soul, lovely um, of, of that festival, also the heart and soul of uh, After Midnight. He was on set every day. Yeah, he drove me to set every day. He was he's so lovely and helped out with that movie. Um, he's yeah. I I'm very excited to go. And Natasha yeah. and I are both going. The director of Lucky and I are both. Going. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, we should meet up again when when you go to. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we we um we were there last year when uh, Mallory was there, and oh, she was yes. on the podcast talking about um. Uh, talking about um, the lady from the Black Lagoon. The lady from Black Lagoon. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. My podcast partner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, when I um, when I showed Claire Creature from Black Lagoon as the conclusion of that she had known that I had talked to Mallory because I have oh, Mallory's book great. up. And uh, she was like, she picked it up and she read some of it. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so she's, it's, it's, I don't know, Mallory's got a great book. She's a great book. She's a lot of good stuff coming too. She's, um, she's a hustler. She's some, I get to hear about like the stuff she's developing. It's really fun. She's brilliant. I, I, I love everything about what she does. Yeah, whatever, she, whatever she's got cooking, I'm going to partake in. She's uh, one of those women that like, um, when we met, I think I said something. I was like, you know, when you get to be our age, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, um, I'm 10 years younger than you. And I was like, oh, <laughs> That's great. Um, so, what's the what's the name of the podcast that you guys do together? We do a podcast called Reading Glasses. Reading Glasses. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, writing wise, um, do you got anything coming out right now? Um, I have a graphic novel that yeah. will hopefully be coming out um, later this year. I'm hoping. I've been working on it for over a year, so uh, that will be coming out. It's called Mary, and I'm the writer of it. Uh, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a YA sci-fi thing, and um, yeah, and then. Watch Pandora. I'm directing some more of that. Hell yeah. yeah. Um, can people find you on the social medias? They can. It's just my name. Uh, just on my name, Bria Grant, on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm not on Facebook. If there's someone on Facebook, it's not me. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good to know. Yeah. So don't go to Facebook. Don't bother. Go go to go to Instagram or Twitter and uh, tell her how awesome she is. Um, thank you so much Thanks, for taking man. the time to talk to us. Yes. I really appreciate this. Uh, of, course. of course. All right. And there you have it. What what an awesome time. I, you know. I don't. I think the conversation really speaks for itself. Um, other than to say thank you to Bria for having me out to her house and agreeing to share some of her time with us. She is uh, not just a lovely person, uh, but a super awesome filmmaker. I I love her work. I think that she uh, has uh, quite a bit of mastery of her craft and anything that she's going to do next. I'm I'm always excited to see. Uh, so, you know, it's it's the generosity of people like Bria who made L.A. such a rewarding time for me, and I'm extremely grateful for it. If you haven't seen After Midnight yet, definitely go take a look at that movie. It's on VOD everywhere. You are in for a treat. Um, with the cancellation of South by Southwest, I think the next time Lucky is going to be available to screen uh, will be at the Chattanooga Film Festival, which uh, Brad and I will be attending. Uh, and hopefully uh, Bria will be there as well. And, and maybe we'll get a chance to meet up with her and have her back on uh, with the director of the film to talk a little bit uh, more about Lucky while we're there. Uh, and then keep an eye out for 12-Hour Shift. Bria Grant, she's crushing it with the projects. All sorts of exciting things left and right coming out. Um, you heard her at the end of the podcast. Uh, definitely check out anything that she's doing. 
All right. I am the host of this, so I know how hosting duties work. Now I need to do outro business. That's right. Uh, It's a skill set. I've sort of developed it. Not really. Uh, This is like take 17. This is no problem. I'll just cut all this out. Maybe I'll leave it in. I don't know. It's pretty embarrassing. Anyways, so coming up on uh, Friday, uh, Brad and Lisa, as you know, uh, went out to Sundance uh, for the second year in a row to do some coverage, and they've got some amazing conversations coming our way from that, the first of which will be a conversation with Nat Faxon and Jim Rash, who are the directors of Downhill, uh, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Will Ferrell, which is a remake of uh, the film Force Majeure, uh, which I loved, and I'm really excited to get a chance to this, so I'm really keen to hear this conversation they've had, and I'm not at all terribly, awfully jealous that this is what they got to do. And then on Wednesday, Cuddles and Rage stopped by to talk with Brad about their upcoming book, Bites of Terror. That book is out on March the 24th this year. You can pre-order it right now. I definitely recommend that you do that. Uh, They are delightfully, wonderfully, comedically horrorful in everything that they do. And if you want to get an idea of what their art looks like, just hop over to Facebook.com and go to at Cuddles and Rage uh, to see kind of an idea for what it is that they do. Uh, I think that they're awesome. You know, they've had bumpers out at Fantastic Fest. Um, they've got some really great stop motion photography work that they do, animation work that they do, um, all sorts of sculpting stuff. I think that they're totally awesome people and you should, uh, uh, definitely check out that conversation and pre-order the book. You're welcome. Again, you guys are just in for treats for all these episodes. Uh, and then I'll be back the following Friday, uh, with, uh, my final conversation from Los Angeles. I had a chat with Alexander Philippe who is the director of 7852, which is the documentary about Alfred Hitchcock's shower scene in Psycho. Um, We talk a little bit about his uh, latest film, a documentary about William Friedkin's The Exorcist, but we take a different approach. Uh, It's all through the framework of Alexander's pitch to revitalize the Star Wars franchise. Um, it's a really interesting conversation. I'm excited to share it with you guys. So stay tuned. We've got an awesome week of content coming you guys' way. Um, but then I feel like that's all of my hosting duties done. I think that's all the information that you need to know. So what else would you need to know? Oh yeah. Who am I? Who are the other dorks? Where can you find us all? I got it. I got this. This is no problem. It's not like I wrote all this down right next to me so I could look at the outline for it. Uh, so again, uh, I'm Billy Das, the indie dork. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at WBDAS. Um, as I talked about in the conversation, I also host a podcast with my wife and daughter called Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at BACEA Podcast. Uh, our last episode, uh, we've recently started a dive into musicals. So we started with Singing in the Rain. Uh, we just put up an episode about West Side Story. And then coming up next in that run is Funny Girl. Uh, so check all of that out. Uh, you can find Brad Gullickson, the Mouth Dork, at Mouth Dork on all social medias. You can find Lisa Gullickson at Sidewalk Siren on Twitter, Instagram, and I think she's back on Letterboxd. Um, and then you can find uh, the other dorks, uh, Brian Young at Brian B. Young on Facebook and at the Turtle Dork on Twitter. And I think at the Turtle Dork one on Instagram. I don't know. Those might be backwards. I'm failing at my hosting duties. Uh, and then you can find Darren Smith at the Disco Dork on all social medias. And that's going to do it for us for this time. Until next time. Visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dreams 